Hey, well, good morning, Midtown. You guys can find your way back to your seats. It's already been a wonderful morning of worship together. So glad to see you guys greeting one another. I see some new faces in the crowd too, so I'll introduce myself. My name's Justin. I serve as our associate pastor. Again, so glad that you're here today, particularly if you're visiting. We're glad that you're here, and we hope that you experience God's love for you uh, this morning. Uh, Today, I'm pretty excited because we get to start a brand new series through the book of Colossians. We're going to talk about the supremacy of Christ. Challenged you guys last week to try to read the book during the week. Did you guys get a chance to read it? A few hands. Sorry for the noise. We'll get that corrected, I think. I'll stop for a second. Waiting till we get the thumbs up. Thumbs up. Back to normal? All right, good. Uh, um, really excited to walk through this book of Colossians. This is going to be really fun for us and really would encourage you guys to read it. It's only four chapters long. It's uh, something you can read in about 10 minutes if you want to read the entire book. We just encourage you to read and study this book along with us. We're going to do this over the next eight weeks. And so to, we're kicking off a new series. Because the weather changed, we decided we're going to change what we're doing and uh, kicking this off here through the fall. It's actually going to go eight weeks all the way through Thanksgiving until we begin our Advent series. And so excited to look at this book together. And as Paul often did when he wrote letters to churches, he would often lead, start them by actually giving them a prayer, tell the people how he was praying for them. And today's going to be fun. I'm going to do a little bit of an introduction to help us understand the context for why he wrote the letter. But then we're going to look at this wonderful prayer that he prays specifically for this group of people, a group of people whom he had actually never met. And so if you can and uh, are willing, can, you can stand in honor of God's word. Kelly's going to read the scripture for us. And we will look at the scripture we'll be reflecting on today. Thanks, Kelly. Hello? Colossians 1 through uh, 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who told you, who also told you of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, guys. You can have a seat. Thanks, Kelly. 
Let's provide just a little bit of context and history for, for the actual book itself. Um, Paul actually wrote this while he was in prison. It was probably written about in 60 AD, and Paul was in prison when he wrote, wrote the book. So that's a little bit of context. You don't, he doesn't actually say it at the start, but in the end of the book, he's going to talk about how he was in prison at the time. Uh, second thing to know is that this is a group of people that Paul had actually never met. He had done a lot of missionary work through Asia Minor, but he never actually went to Colossae. In fact, uh, one of the biggest cities that he went to where God did amazing things was, was Ephesus, which is about 100 miles west of Colossae. And there's such, such an amazing work happened when Paul was in Ephesus. If you want, you can go read it in Acts chapter 19. That tells about his missionary journey to Ephesus. And when he was in Ephesus, like a huge revival took place. In fact, so much that there's this really cool verse in, in uh, Acts 19.10. It says this, this went on for two years so that all the Jews and the Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Amazing, right? Two years of Paul teaching in what was called the Hall of Tyrannus and teaching there, so many people came through that city that surely some Colossians came and were part of that revival and took it back. Now, we don't know for certain, but we know that, the, that what happened in Colossae was because someone named Epaphras was the one that actually brought the gospel to them. And then we know that from this letter that Epaphras, as he's the one who helped start this church in Colossae, then he goes back and visits Paul while he's in prison. And he reports to Paul all the things that God had been doing. And Paul gets excited and stirred up, and you're going to see that in his prayer. But he knows exactly what God's doing. And he gives thanks to God, you'll see in his prayer. But another thing that you can tell by the way the letter was written was that Epaphras also told Paul about some of the things that were happening in the city, particularly some of the ideologies, some of the philosophies, some of the theologies, some of the cultural things that were happening at, that, happening at that time, and all the different types of special knowledge, we'll look at that in a minute, that were trying to take people away from the faith. And so Paul writes this letter in large part to try to call the people to stay faithful, to stay faithful. He rejoices that they started by faith and what God did through them and making them more loving people, we'll see, but he actually wanted to give them instruction on how to continue to stay faithful to the end. So that's the purpose of this letter. I like to kind of think of it when I was reading it uh, a lot this last couple of months, or the last, last month I've been reading Colossians every day, and started thinking that the metaphor that pops to mind is, I don't know what they're called, they're not speed bumps, but you know how like when you're driving on a highway and you start to drift, you, you know, you hit the little things, like we're really glad that they're there, right? Because if you're sleeping or if you're just drifting or wandering, uh, those things kind of help keep you in line, right? And I, when I think about the book of Colossians, I think of Paul writing it as kind of this metaphor of he's going to give us these little drift bumps so that when they start to drift off, they hit the bumps and he's really trying to keep them front and center focused on Jesus. That's why we're titling the series, The Supremacy of Jesus. He's trying to keep them focused on Jesus and the gospel that they had received and not to stray from it, from the cultural pressures of that day, even from the religious pressures of that day that were coming and competing against the gospel of grace. So that's Paul's main concern as he writes this letter. He knows that they've started well because Epaphras has told them, but Epaphras has also told them some of the things that they're facing. And so Paul writes this letter to give them the drift bumps, stay straight. In fact, he would write the first, first two verses here, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters, grace and peace to you from God, our father. He sees them as faithful faithful, and he wants them to remain faithful. Now, we can read this book, and knowing that's the kind of context of it, you need to read it and think through, what are the things that we face? Because every church and every culture is going to encounter spiritual forces and ideologies that equally in our day and age are going to get us to drift to the right or to the left. 
You might say that when we drift to the left, it's, it's the cultural, the ideologies of the world that try to pull us away from Christ. But it can happen with inside the church too, that you might say that drift to the right would be the cultural and the religious undertones and the Phariseeism and the things that can set in even within the religious culture that also get us adrift. And so whether it's the way of the world or the way of religion, we can drift, but we don't have to. And that's what this letter's about. It's about calling us not to drift, but to stay faithful. We need not drift. We can resist the ideologies of the world. We can resist the ideologies of religion and we can stay faithful, not just start well in our faith. We can end well in our faith. And that's what Paul is writing. In fact, that's what he's going to pray. And let's look at this prayer. There's really two parts to this prayer. The first part of the prayer is a prayer of thanksgiving and the second part of the prayer is a prayer of intercession. Let's look first at the prayer of thanksgiving, verse three and four. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because you have, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all of God's people. So, so Paul starts just by giving thanks, just, just praising God for what he's been doing. From what Epaphras told him, he's just so thankful. And he says, I thank God for what he's doing among you because I've heard about your faith and I've heard about your love. Those are the two things. And notice too, that it's not just Paul that's praying. He says, we. So it's him talking about the people that are with him in prison or maybe it's the people that come visit him. He's, he's gathering people to pray for this church and what God's doing there. He's praying for them. He's calling others to pray for them. And he starts with this prayer of thanksgiving for two things. Thanks for their faith and for their love. But let's look first at their faith. He's thanking God for their faith in Christ. That's an appropriate response when you hear someone come to faith. Wasn't it great hearing Leanne's story this morning? It was great hearing his story. I love seeing what God's doing in different parts of the world like Paul did. Like he's never met these people, but he hears the story and he rejoices which is an apt way to respond when we hear stuff that God's doing. Uh, just this week, I got an uh, email from my missionary friend that's in uh, Turkey. He's working with Syrian refugees. And he, in, in the newsletter, he told a story about the Syrian who had just put his faith in Jesus. And it was another Syrian that was a, a new believer that got to baptize him. And there's a picture of them being baptized in the same place real close to where this book was written, in, in fact. So wild just to rejoice in that. Or a few weeks ago, I don't know if y'all were here, but a few weeks ago when Jason came and told us about his mission work in Indonesia, you guys were here for that. I love that when he put up, a, he told a story of someone being baptized and put the photo up and you guys just erupted and, clap, and clapping. Y'all remember that? It was just spontaneous. It was just like, yes. Like that's what it should cause us to do when we hear about what God's doing somewhere in the world. We, we rejoice and we start with just these great prayers of thanksgiving. It's an apt response. That's why Paul is so thankful for what he's done. Think, for instance, of, you know, when Jesus, one of his most famous parables, when he tells three in a row, one about the, the lost coin, then the lost sheep, and then the lost son. And with each one, when they're found, it says the angels rejoiced. And so Paul, like the angels, when he hears of their faith, he's just so happy that he has to give thanks to God. How do we become believers? How do they become believers? It's real simple right there. It says by putting their faith in Christ. Like that's how we put our faith in Christ. When we put our faith in Christ, then we are saved. And how do we hear it? We heard it like they did. He's gonna expand a little bit further on what they actually heard and how they put their faith in him in the next few verses. So let's move on to verse five. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven about what you already heard, the true message of the gospel that has come to you in the same way this gospel, it's bearing fruit and growing throughout the world just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it and you understood what? You understood, truly understood God's grace. 
You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, faithful minister on Christ's behalf, who also told you, who also told us of your love and the Spirit. They heard the true message of the gospel, and what was it? It's when they truly understood God's grace. They truly understood that God gave them grace in Christ. They recognized that they needed a Savior and that God had come to die for them and that Jesus had risen from the dead and they put their faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. And that's what made them believers. That's what the movement was that happened among those people. It was a gospel of grace. And notice it says there was a day. And I wanna just suggest a point to all of you and say, look, there's all a day. For all of us, there is a day. There's a day when you put your faith in Jesus. I'm gonna tell you my story in just a minute, just a little bit about it. But what was your day? What was your day? I know we've got some people here who've maybe yet to put their faith in Jesus. I wanna say to you, like, we're so, we're so glad that you're here and keep seeking, keep trying to understand this gospel of grace. But even today could be your day. Like you could say today, I put my faith in Jesus. Paul rejoices that that's what they had done, that they received this gospel of grace and it became clear to them and they received it. But he's not just excited about their faith. He's also excited about their love because that's what their faith actually began to produce in them. You see there at the very end, Epaphras also told us, told us of your love in the spirit. And if you go back to verse three, he said it also, we've heard about your faith in Jesus and the love you have for all of God's people. You see, what became evident in them was that they began to be more loving people. It wasn't just that they believed the right things, that that transformed them to where they were loving people. And that's the, the, the ultimate fruit that you can bear. It was what Leanne said that she saw in her friends that were in her Christian sorority. She saw their love and it began to bear fruit in their lives. And then she became one who also bared that same fruit. It's not just what we believe, it's how that transforms us. And Paul's so excited. You know, this had to be part of the movement too as to why people were coming to faith in this city because as people came to faith and their lives changed, that they started acting differently and loving differently, which makes the gospel more attractive and more people were coming to faith again and again and again. It was not just that they believed things, it transformed them into loving people and Paul rejoices in that. When was that day for you? And have you seen yourself becoming a more loving person? For me, I've told you this before, it was 1988, June of 1988 in Estes Park, Colorado at the YMCA of the Rockies. No better place to come to faith than right there, sitting sitting in a, in a, a youth group setting, just hearing the gospel. I'd heard it many times before, but something happened that day where I fully understood God's grace all in all of its truth. And I received it. I put my faith in Jesus. And one of the things that happened that summer, particularly as I began to try to grow in my faith, one of the first things that God started working in me was changing my attitude toward my family. I had kind of a bad attitude toward my family, particularly my brother and my, and, uh, my mother at that time. And so one of the things that God just started doing, he started just all of a sudden giving me more of a love for my brother. Like I used to always pick on him or fight or be a bully. <laughs> we just didn't get along. And all of a sudden I found myself changing in the way that I reacted to him. And my mom would say that actually the way that I changed the way I reacted to her was that I started showing respect where I didn't respect her before. When I started showing her that love and respect, that actually put her on the trajectory where she came to faith because she saw my life was changing right there in the household. I put my faith in Christ and he made me more loving person. That's what Paul is rejoicing in that he's seeing in these people that's been reported to them. Isn't that awesome? We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we've heard about your faith in Christ and the love that you have for all the saints. He gives thanks for what God's doing. 
But after that, he's now going to pray that they would continue, that, that they wouldn't just start well. Now he's going to pray a prayer of intercession that they would end well, that they would continue in the same faith and the same love. Let's look at the prayer of intercession. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may be worthy of the Lord and please him, live, may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. He says, for this reason, meaning, meaning, meaning since I've learned this from Epaphras, since I've learned about your faith and I've learned about your love, I've also started praying for you. Not, not just every now and then, continually, regularly, day and night, I've not stopped praying for you. Before we look at the actual prayer, we need to remember again the context that what Paul prayed for them. Because Epaphras, again, told them not only that they had come to faith and that being growing in love, he also told them about the cultural things that they were experiencing in their day. Because they were facing lots of challenges, you're going to see as we walk through the rest of the book, some of these challenges are actually going to be addressed within the rest of the letter. But they were facing challenges, ideological, uh, philosophical, theological, cultural things in their day that were tempting them to drift to the right or to the left. And so when Paul's praying this prayer, it's not just a random prayer that, oh, I just pray the same prayer for every church. No, he's praying this prayer very specifically for them because he knows of their situation. This is a prayer for them. In the same spirit this week, I was kind of moved to, to, to reach out to another group of people, like Paul praying for people he doesn't know. I went to uh, my friends, Steve and Miriam Eunuchs. They, they uh, live in Georgia, the country, not the state. And they live there for a very specific reason, because it's one of the uh, main countries that has freedom for Iranians to come in, uh, to come there. And they have a huge heart for the Iranian church, and they've been teaching underground church pastors how to go be pastors and hide from the people, but still lead a movement of the body of Christ in Iran. Amazing work that they do. And I knew that this week they were actually at a conference with a lot of Iranian believers to gather together to strategize and pray and seek God together. And so I just sent them an email, said, hey, Steve, Miriam, like what, what's an end time prayer request for you right now? Like what, what's something that I can pray for people that I'm not gonna see, but you can be my Epaphras. You can tell me what God's doing there and I can pray for you guys. And this is what he wrote. I wanted to share it with you so that you can pray for the Iranian church too. There's great need for unity in the Iranian church. At this point, there's a lot of division. But the theme of this conference is unity, and significant steps are taking place to work toward the goal of unity. So pray for unity in the Iranian church, both inside and outside the country. That was like an Epaphras moment for me, where I got to, or he got to be the Epaphras for me. Tell me what God's doing in a different part of the world so that now I can in time pray. All that to say this prayer is a very, very specific prayer that he's praying for them because he knows what's happening. That's why he uses this word when he says his primary prayer here is to pray that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Now, that word knowledge there is, is, is very important, and we're going to see it kind of played out through the rest of the book, so I'm not going to be able to get fully into it today. You're going to see it as we progress. Again, read Colossians a lot while we're doing this, while we're doing this series together. But there, there were people in that day who thought that they had like a special knowledge. They thought, they thought that they had a special knowledge that was hidden from everyone else and that they had the way. And there were all these competing ideas that were trying to get them to drift to the right or drift to the left because we have special knowledge. Come follow us. And so he's directly praying against that right now by praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding by the Spirit. Meaning, the Spirit is where you're going to get the truth. 
and he's praying that they would stay connected from the spirit and they wouldn't get knowledge, special knowledge from someone out here or someone out here. They get special knowledge by walking in the spirit and receiving from him. That's his primary prayer that they would grow in that wisdom and that understanding connected to the Holy Spirit. And then why is he praying it? He's praying it so that they would live, know how to live their life, to live a life worthy of Lord and please God in every single way. He thanked God that they had faith in Jesus and they were growing in love. And now he's actually praying that they'd stay faithful to the gospel of Jesus and would continue to grow in love and practice God's will. They started well in the faith and now his concern is, will you live well in the faith? In fact, this prayer is kind of actually, if you go back and reread, reread the book this week, this prayer is kind of like a model for how the book plays out because in chapter one and two, he's going to address some of those cultural issues and try to keep them on the drift for how to live, how to keep the faith. And then chapters three and four, he's gonna get practical. Now he's gonna talk about how to live a life of love. That's what his prayer is for these great people. The primary prayer, if you notice, it has kind of a colon in, in English at the end of it because now he's going to develop a little bit. But his primary prayer, remember, is they grow in knowledge, receive from the Spirit, so they could live a life worthy of the Lord. But now he's going to develop it a little bit further. Verse 10, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you might have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who's qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints and the kingdom of light. For he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He's praying, developing on this prayer that they'd receive knowledge from the spirit so they could live a life of love. Now he's praying that they would bear fruit in every good work. He's praying that they would continue to grow. The fruit of the Spirit, primarily fruit of the Spirit is love, that they would continue to grow. He's praying that they would grow in both their fruit in their own lives and that they would grow in their fruit outward as they continue to minister. Paul wants them to have this fruit in their ministry, or as I like to say, there's always more to grow. There's always room to grow, right? So he knows that even though they've started well, he wants them to continue to end well and let God continue to change their lives and transform them, that they'd be bearing more and more fruit of the Spirit. That's what he wants to see God do in them. Y'all agree that you have room to grow? Everyone wants to pray that, that the, we would bear fruit, we could continue to bear fruit and grow. I've got a whole list of things that I'm asking God to do in my life. I know areas that I know that I need to grow in, but I've got a lifetime to do it. And if I can continue to walk in the spirit, receive knowledge from the spirit so that I can know how to live a life pleasing to God, then I'm gonna start to bear more and more fruit, and God's gonna make me more and more like Christ. That's what we want. That's what I want for me. That's what I want for you. There's always room to grow, but there's also always room to know. There's room to grow, and there's room to know, which is why he prays the next thing, growing in the knowledge of God. Growing in the knowledge of God. Paul prays that they be filled with knowledge from God through the Spirit so they can know more about God. God is inexhaustible in our understanding. We are always aiming to learn more and more and more about God. We can continue to grow the rest of our lives because there's always more to know. And Paul's not just talking about knowing from the stand of head knowledge. That's part of it. He wants them to grow in right theology. He's going to correct them in this book and give them their drift lanes. But he also wants them to grow in their experience of God, not just in their head, but in their hearts. They want to know God. Do you want to know God? Yes. And there's always room to know. There's room to grow, 
We all still have to grow. There's room to know. There's so much more that we can do in knowing the heart of our God. And Paul knew that if we're going to continue to have room to grow, if we're going to continue to have room to know more about God, that we can't do it by ourselves, right? We can't. We need the Spirit of God and we need the strength of God to continue to grow, to continue to know, to not drift to the right, to not drift to the left. We need the Spirit of God and His strength, which is why he then said, praise this, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that, two things, so that you might have great endurance and patience, and so that you may give joyful thanks to the Father. He's again concerned that they're going to end well. He knows that what they're facing is tough, that out there in the world with all these ideologies and the special knowledge and the people that are coming against them, and that even the way that the church can start to get things wrong and you can drift too far to the right, even within the religious context, he knows it takes great endurance to continue to walk with God for a lifetime. And we need God's strength to do that. So his prayer toward this end is for their endurance. He wants to see, he's heard from Epaphras how they started so well, but he wants to end well. He wants them to end well. Do you want to end well? It takes great endurance. We need to stay connected to the Spirit like he's encouraging them and he's praying for them to do. I'm not going to get into it because I'm going to be teaching in chapter two in a few weeks here, but I just wanted you to see a little bit of of what I'm talking about, how he's going to start to try to correct them and put these lanes, these drift, I'm calling them drift bumps. Someone needs to tell me what those things actually are, but I'm calling them drift bumps. I'm going with it. Okay, guardrails, something strips. All right, we'll count on Drift bumps. Everyone walk away with drift bumps, please. So just so you get an idea, let's look, look at two verses in chapter two. You'll see in chapter two, verse eight. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. See, there were hollow and deceptive philosophies that were out there in their day and age, and those were the ways of the world. And the ways of the world and the people that they had special knowledge, they were causing them to drift to the left, you might say. But then look at 2.18. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Colossians 2.18, that might be your rightward drift, if you want to call it that. There were religious leaders that claimed to have special knowledge, and we've got a way that you can connect with God that's different from the way that you can and apart from Christ. And these things were causing them to drift to the right or to the left. Those are the things that they were facing. Can you relate? Can you relate in our day and age? Don't we have them? We've got the philosophies, the ideologies of the world that some of them we see and some of them we just don't see. They're, they're just so ingrained within our culture that they pull us away from Christ. And this book is all about trying to center your life on Christ. Come back to the center. Don't drift. Can you relate from the religious world? Can you see how Christians can get things wrong? You suddenly lose your faith. You think that you're practicing something. You end up way off course even in the way that you pursue a relationship with God, you can. It happens all the time in the church. We can point to lots of situations. These are the competitive things that we're vying for them. And so Paul's concern is that they'd have this great endurance and patience. And he knows that the way that they need to continue to stay focused on the gospel, the gospel of grace is to give joyful thanks so that you may have joyful thanks Paul knew that they needed to stay rooted in the gospel, continuing to rejoice in their salvation, to to constantly give worship to God for how he had saved them by grace. And if you stay in this posture of continual worship and remembering what God has done for you and continue to proclaim it to each other and over each other, even as we sing, it will keep our heart in the center, apart 
from drifting. Verse 12 again. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He's brought us into the kingdom of his son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's kind of like Paul trails off on his prayer here and starts going a little theology on them in his prayer, reminding them again of what God had done for them. Primarily that God had qualified them to be brought into his family. And that's something that we should give joyful thanks for. And he wants them to continue to stay on track by remembering what God had done for them. So he points them to what they have in Christ. And what I find so amazing about this passage is it's not just an invitation to God's family. It's actually more than that. God has given them an invitation to his family, but particularly into the love of the Trinity. He says he's qualified them. He has spent eternity with them. The kingdom of his son, but not just his son, the son in whom he loves. I, did, I meant to bring a book up here, to, but I can still just promote it by the name of it. I, this is over my last vacation that we had two weeks ago. I read this book for the third time because I always have to reread it called Delighting in the Trinity. And it's radically affected the way that I, that I see the gospel now because I see it not as just an invitation for the forgiveness of my sins, though it is that. It's an invitation to be part of the love of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Invi inv invitation to that family of love that God invites us to one that we should give joyful thanks for. It's a very Trinitarian prayer. If you, if you want to go back and look at the verses, we'll go back to uh, what he says. He says that he prays to the Father, thanking him, uh, thanking him uh, that they've put their faith in Jesus, so that's the Son, and that they'd be connected and empowered by the Spirit. Father, Son, Spirit. That was what he gave thanks for. Now when he prays, he prays to the Father, asking the believers in Colossae to have knowledge received from the Spirit so that they can live a way worthy of the life of Jesus. Like, this is what we're invited into, guys. We're invited into a relationship with God for eternity. That's what we should rejoice in. And that's what we need to keep at the center. That's what this book is going to be about. Every church and every culture is going to encounter these philosophies, these ideologies, the ways of the world, and even the ways of religion that can get us right or left. And Paul's prayer is that they these young believers that started well, he's writing them saying and praying for them, I want you guys to end well. Stay in your lane, bro. Don't drift. That's my prayer for you. I like that today we're introducing a new song that's actually an old song, we'll sing it here in a bit, called Center, and asking Christ to be the center of our lives as we sing it together today. Let's just ask that we would not drift to the left or right, that, that Christ would be the center of our lives, that we would keep our eyes focused on him. As I said, this book is four chapters long. It takes about 10 minutes to read. I would encourage you guys to begin reading it along with us because as we develop, you're gonna see the drift lines, the, the, the drift bumps that, that Paul puts up and we're gonna see how Christ is preeminent. He's the one that we need to stay focused on and he is in fact our very life. And what God has invited us into is into a relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Praise God. One more thing I'll point out before we take communion. When you read the book the rest of this week or later in the week, notice this last phrase that we've been brought into. Uh, he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son whom he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In whom we have redemption, 
forgiveness of sins. As you read the book of Colossians, I want you to do a little practice, like circle every time you see in him or in Christ, with Christ, in Christ, circle every time because this whole book is about all that we've received solely from Christ. I want you to reflect on that verse as we take communion.